0: Tonight's reading is Psalm 114. It can be found on page 615 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 114. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, The mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, see, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water."
1: Uh, Sarah and uh, Sophie for praying and reading for us. Um, Well, good evening, everyone. I'd like to add my own welcome to you, especially if you're new or visiting. Uh, My name's John. I'm one of the team here. Uh, If you're a student, then welcome Croeso to Cardiff. It's a fantastic city uh, to live and study, and so you've made a really good choice after the service, we're going to be having after eight downstairs in the sports hall. That's just for students where we'll be playing volleyball. Uh, we are having some pizza, just hanging out, and we'll be watching the Wales-Australia game as well. So come down. Uh, it'd be lovely to get to know you. But lovely then as well for us to let you know what else is going on for students at Highfields Church. I don't know how you're feeling this evening. If you're a fresher, you may be going through all kinds of a mixture of emotions, all the way from excitement, I can't wait to start this new term, to being a little anxious about this new adventure that you're about to embark on. And if you're not a fresher this evening, I wonder what kind of week you've had. And in a room like this, I'm sure we'll have a wide spectrum of emotions, won't we? But I wonder if you've ever had this experience. You've had a pig of a week. Either things have gone wrong at home or at work, or you've received some sad news, or you've been hurt in a relationship, and you come to church, and someone like me or Dave says, stand, let's stand, come, let's sing praises together to God. And you're thinking, really? Praising God is the last thing that I feel like doing right now. And maybe over the past few weeks, praising God has felt a little distant, and You question why we have to do this as it's something that you really don't feel you can do right now as life is hard. While in the Psalms that we're looking at together in the new series, Anthems for a Dying Lamb, they, they provide us with many answers to that question which we look at together over the weeks. But I guess one answer to start us thinking about it is the fact that what we praise shows us what we hope in. And when we start speaking uh, words of praise, they do something to us. Those, those words of praise themselves begin to shape our heart. And actually they start to prompt our hope in whatever we're praising. The thing we praise becomes our source of hope. And God knows that our hearts will be captivated by other things in this broken world. And so the psalmist encourages us to praise him. To praise him because this is what's best for us. Best for our hearts, best for our lives and best for our future. Now, singing is, is one of uh, the most commanded practices in the Bible, second only to prayer. And sadly, if we, we don't learn how to, important of a discipline of, of singing is how important it is singing God's praises regularly with others and listening to God's praises being sung in our faith to us, it'll affect our, our walk with the Lord and our growth in our faith because songs have such a power over us. And Martin Luther, the the great reformer, said this about music. If you want to comfort the sad, if you want to terrify the happy, if you want to encourage the despair, and if you want to humble the pride, if you want to pacify the aggressive, there is no more effective means than music. That's the reason why you can feel horrible about life, and yet in the presence of great music, you can just weep it out. You can process your grief, and you feel like, I can make it. Songs have such a a power over us. They can take us back in our memories to people and places long ago. They can stir up emotions inside us as we connect the tune with the words. They can help us express the things that we want to say when we haven't got the words to say. They motivate us into action and, and they can actually unite and connect people together. Just think of the Rugby World Cup that is going on at the moment when the national anthems are being sung. They're amazing, aren't they? If you are watching the Irish game last night, it was absolutely amazing. As they started singing, shoulder to shoulder, we'll answer Ireland's call. It's amazing. I'm not even Irish. I was buzzing. <laughs> and of course, we might say that music uh, is stirring The emotions, and if you put words to music, then it makes people feel emotional. But maybe, just maybe, there's more to it than that. Leonard Bernstein, an atheist composer and conductor, said this, that although he didn't believe in God, when he heard great music like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, it sounded like the stuff from heaven. He was saying, I don't even believe there's anything behind the universe, but when I hear good music, he couldn't help but feel that there was something higher. The U2 singer Bono went a step further than Bernstein in an introduction to a book on the psalm saying this. Words and music did for me what solid, rigorous, religious arguments could not. Words and music introduced me to God. Not just belief in God, but more of an experiential sense of God. And like Bernstein, I believe that the music can point us to something higher. And of course, as a Christian, I believe that higher power is a God of creation. But more than this, he is a God that knows us. He's a God that is with us. He has a plan to rescue us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 19, after God has made a covenant promise with Israel, he asked Moses to now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that they can maybe a witness for them. God knows that our human hearts want to forget him. And he knows that we want to move away from him. But when we're reminded of the reality of God in music and reminded of a God that not only created us, but but rescued us through Jesus, we are captivated by him. Our hearts are moved from just belief in God to an experience of God that strengthens and deepens our walk with him. Songs can unlock and touch the heart like nothing else. They are powerful things. And when they're about God. They become a source of hope. And actually in this psalm we're looking at tonight, we see this dynamic going on in Psalm 114. It's just a very short but completely rammed with redemption history about a God who comes to rescue his people out of slavery and then bring them to the promised land. This is a psalm that can shape our hope and provide us with assurance whatever we may face. And so if you put your Bible down and pick it back up, we're in Psalm 114, um, or switch your phones on. And we're gonna, you can follow with me um, as we go along. And I, I've split this psalm into three different perspectives or timeframes, the past, the present, and the future. And the first one this evening, which is the longest, is remembering God's rescue in the past from verses one to four. And let me just read uh, verses one to two to us so you can follow with me. When Israel came out of Egypt... Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel's, his dominion. And so the The psalmist is taking us out of our own world, and he's plunging us straight into the world of Exodus, where God's people have been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. The people of God are among a people of strange tongue. Now, it isn't just that the Egyptians spoke a different language, as I'm sure over that time Israelites would have learned the language and been able to speak that. But it's more... That Pharaoh and his army spoke the language of fear and tyranny, whereas Israel spoke the language of faith. The Egyptians trusted Pharaoh to protect them and to preserve their land, whereas Israel hoped in God to deliver them and to give them the promised land. And so it's like a, a double oppression because it's both physical and it's spiritual. You know, they lived under the crack of the whip, but also the lash of the tongue. And so they cried out to God for their rescue. Now, we may read the story of Exodus as a battle between God's people and Pharaoh, but actually, the book of Exodus shows us that it's actually a battle between Pharaoh and God himself. In Genesis 12, we get the great promise of God to Abram that his descendants will be his people in his land, enjoying his blessing. And in Exodus, the people are his, but they're not in the land. And Pharaoh is actively stopping that promise coming to pass. And the more the Israelites multiply, the more that he oppresses them, the more he goes harder and harder, displaying all the time his kingly rule and power, whilst God seems to be coming smaller and smaller and smaller. And yet God is not ignorant of their plight. He he didn't need an update from them. He sees all and he knows all. But how? Well, because God was with them, verse 2, you see? Judah was his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. And this is just two ways to describe the God with his people. And so as Pharaoh sits on his throne and exalts himself over his dominion, we learned last week with Ricky that the God of Psalm 113, who dwells on high, is making himself low, establishing a sanctuary for him among his people. And I guess as we we look around the world today, we may be feeling very similar to the Israelites back then, feeling like people surrounded by a foreign tongue. Feeling like aliens and strangers in the world, speaking a different language, and feeling oppressed by a culture that believes in a pantheon of gods. And so, where is God? Where is He? That's what we want to know when we turn up to church after a pig of a week. And someone up the front says, Come, let's stand and sing to God. And you think to yourself, That's so hard. I mean, where is He? Does he not see my situation? Does he not care about my circumstances? Well, you see, what's true for the Israelites is true for us. If you're believing in Jesus Christ, then God is with you. Wherever you are and whatever, you whatever you're facing. He isn't distant. He hasn't forsaken you. He is with you. And in the New Testament, we read of God coming in the person of Jesus Christ, knowing our plight and doing everything needed to rescue us, But there's more than that. We haven't been left alone today. He's given us his spirit too. And it's the Holy Spirit that is drawing us to him. Comforting us. Prompting us. And helping us in our weakness. In our frustration and pain. When we cry out to God, he intercedes for us. And he makes sense of the wordless groans to God. So even when we pray and it makes no sense because we're just in so much anguish the Holy Spirit makes sense to them, to God. We are not alone. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is with you. And although we may feel at times that we're just clinging on to God with our fingertips, the wonderful reality is that the whole Trinity has got you. he has got you. He's been holding on all along, since the beginning of time. And nothing, nothing can loose, loosen that grip. God says, I will be with you and this has been his promise from the beginning of the Bible, and it remains true today, and is still a promise for our future. And so God rescued his people back then in the exodus, and now today through the cross of Christ, is not simply so we can be forgiven, it's not simply that we can go to heaven to live forever, but it is so we will be with him forever. Our happy ever after rests on God's desire to be with you and me. Far more than your desire to be with him. And so if you're a believer here tonight, you know, you know your desire wax and wanes. It just goes up and down. I mean, you're at a conference or a camp over the summer and everyone is singing. It's just electric, isn't it? But when you come home, it can feel like someone's just pulled the plug and everything just goes flat. You see, our desire for God goes up and down through our circumstances, through our self-worth, through our failures. But thank God that his desire for us never, never changes, and it never falters. He wants to live with his people, and this is why he rescues. And if verses 1 and 2 is about God being with his people, then verse 3 and 4 is about his omnipotent power. You see, nothing can get in the way of God getting to his people. In fact, in verse 3, we get the whole of Exodus story in one little verse. Do you see? Let's see, looked and fled, and the Jordan turned back. In this one small verse, the psalmist takes in 10 plagues that pretty much obliterated Egypt, the Passover where he protected the people from the angel of death by the blood of the Lamb, the journey to the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and the destruction of their enemies. Then he skips over 40 years in the wilderness where God wonderfully acts to protect and to provide for them as he shows tremendous patience with them as they keep grumbling to him. And then at the end of verse 3, we have God's people at the shore of the Jordan River, on the edge of the Promised Land, and just like the Red Sea, God turned back the Jordan River so that they could enter the Promised Land. And you see, the point is, it isn't just that God has power over all creation, though he does, or that God will do go through extraordinary lengths to get to his people, though he will. It's that all creation must yield to the Lord when he appears to save his people. And what we have in verse 4 is God's people entering God's place and bringing with them God's blessing. You see in verse 4, the mountains leap like rams, the hills like lambs. Now some writers connect this with the Mount Sinai where God has given his law to his people. But you know, if you think about that moment, it was a really terrifying moment, which doesn't really fit with this imagery of playful lambs. And so I don't think the psalmist wants to take us back from the Jordan to Sinai, but forward into his blessing. And so one writer puts it this way. It's as if Canaan wore out... So Canaan is the promised land. It's as if Canaan, worn out with the evil of its current inhabitants, jumps and leaps for joy as Israel steps out of the river. The battered old creation gets a whiff of the new creation and reaches out to the people of God. This is what the psalmist is picturing... And so as he sings this psalm, he's remembering his rescuing God and all that he's done for his people. And Psalm 114 would have been sung every year as God's people remembered and celebrated the Passover. And through this song, they would have been reminded of the God who got them safely home. We see the psalmist isn't finished yet because remembering God's rescue in the past can help us to trust God, uh, God's rescue for the present which is our second point uh, this evening. And so our focus now has gone from the first Passover to the last Passover with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room that we've been looking at um, in our morning series. Let me read verses five to six, follow me. Why was it, see, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why mountains did you leap like lambs, you hills like rams, you hills like lambs? You see, that what's happening is the psalmist is standing back and he's taking another look. And he's, he's trying to think, have I grasped it all? Have I understood all the implications? And notice that these, verse, these questions are found in the present tense. It's as if the psalmist is, is talking to the Red Sea and, and talking to the River Jordan and talking to the mountains right in front of him. It's though he's it's there. But these events have happened like hundreds of years ago. And so, why would he do that? Well, he knows that by doing this, by bringing to mind God's great wonders in the past into his present experience, is that you're taking hold of that history and saying, Do you know what? That history is my history. That history is my history. And this is what Moses asks and commands his people to do as the Passover is instituted in Exodus 13. He says, in days to come when your children ask you, what does this mean? Say to them, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so every year, right through the centuries, the people celebrated and remembered Passover. They sung these songs, which helped them to connect to their history, to say, thy history, that's my history. And as I think about the journey of the Israelites over those centuries, I think about them being taken out of the promised land into exile in Babylon, and then them returning to the promised land from exile as broken remnant. And then fast forward a few hundred years and to that time of Jesus, where they're in the promised land, but they're occupied by the Romans. And I can just imagine doing all these times of slavery, doing all these times of oppression, During all these times of confusion and sadness in their present circumstances, that this psalm would be sung. A song to bolster assurance. A song to instill courage and belief. A song to help them to remember past victories. I'm going to get in trouble for this one, right? But this is the closest that I could think about it. And so I'm honestly not trying to get into trouble or, or be provocative. But this is the best example. So please be generous, right? But in my mind... I think of the World Cup and the Scottish rugby team. And they're all arm in arm, aren't they? Singing their anthem, O Flower of Scotland. And the last verse says this, Those days are past now, and in the past they must remain. But we can still rise now. We can be the nation again that stood against him. Against who? Proud Edwards Army. And send them homewards to think again. And you can imagine this song, not just being sung on the rugby pitches, but on the, on the battlefield. Being used to unite soldiers and bolster courage against overwhelming odds. To remember them of, of past victories. I appreciate this. It's not the grace of examples, right? What I'm trying to help us to see is that Psalm 114 is being sung in the upper room. And that maybe the disciples and Jesus are all arm in arm as they sing these words to each other. And as they heard one another sing in the anthem, it would unite them, it would, it would remind them of this unstoppable God, and who is good to his promises. As they claimed that history for themselves, as they sang to one another, despite their precarious situation, they received hope. Why do they receive hope? Well, two reasons. First, because God is with them in marvelous ways, than he was in Exodus. And secondly, they understood that Exodus from Egypt was just only the beginning. And that something greater was going to happen. And they expected that Jesus was going to be involved. And so I wondered to myself, what Jesus must have been feeling when he sang that song? I wonder what he was feeling. Knowing all that he was facing. Facing a situation worse than all the experiences of God's people throughout their history all rolled into one. I guess Jesus would have sung these words first as a believer and a worshipper because these momentous events were as real for Jesus as they were for the psalmist. He he believed and he praised God for the miraculous deeds. But did this psalm give him strength? Did this psalm give him comfort? I'm sure it did in part, because he knew God is good to his promises and, and that ultimately this rescue plan would work. And yet he knew for this rescue plan to happen that he was going to have to experience abandonment from God. God not being with him. And whatever our imaginations can conjure up for us on what that might look like for him on the cross, we can be sure that it is infinitely greater and beyond our imaginations. As he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away from me? Why are you so far from my cries and my anguish? But this cry of abandon my Jesus on the cross, is two things he's saying. I'm suffering, suffering infinitely, but I'm sticking to the plan. I'm holding on to his word. I'm holding on to this purpose. I'm holding on to the very end. But why? Well, because he's holding on to his passion. And what is his passion? Well, it's you and it's me. We are what he's dying for. He's saying, I'm doing this for you. You are my passion. I'm willing to be abandoned by God so that you never have to. And there's no greater revelation of Christ's heart than this act. Jesus became the ultimate Passover lamb. His blood will save his people from death. This is the real ecstasy. And Jesus faced an enemy far greater than Pharaoh. He has fought and he has shackled his enemy in fathomless depths and now stands in victory on the shoreline of Jordan, the shoreline of heaven, showing us his nail-paced hands as he welcomes us in. And like the psalmist, we should take a step back and take another look, having grasped it all. Have I grasped it for myself? And ask the questions, why was it that the sun, you were clothed in darkness on that day? Why, on earth, did you shake and spit apart? Why was it that creation wanted to flee away? What, at the time that people were blind to see, soulless creation could not ignore. And when his disciples fell silent, the very stones cried out, the work of Christ is done. But again, notice with me that the psalmist isn't done. Because remembering God's rescue in the past, helping us to trust in God's rescue for the present can also bring confidence in God's rescue for the future. And that's our third and final point this evening. From verses 7 and 8. Have a look with me. Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Do you notice that the praise does something to him? As he looks at the psalmist, he, he can see that, that he's praising God for all that he has done. He finds his faith being excited within him. And as he trusts his rescuing God who has rescued him, well, he grows in confidence that God will get him safely home. Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord because another exodus has begun. And as we live among people of foreign tongue, as we live as aliens and strangers in this world, as we question Why did you flee, see? But as we stand safely behind God and we say, where or death is your victory? Where or death is your sting? As we look ahead to our future, we can say with the psalmist, tremble earth, because a day is coming when Jesus Christ will return. And the last book of the Bible picks up this psalm in in, in chapter 20, where we read not that the sea flees away from God, but the whole earth and the heavens will flee from his presence, meaning that everything will be made new. God's salvation plan encompasses the whole of creation. And remember back in in verse four, the psalm, it says that the mountains leapt for joy as the Israelites made it to the promised land. Well, in Romans 8, it says the whole of creation is literally on its tiptoes waiting to be liberated from its bondage of decay into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. It will be on that day when Jesus Christ returns that the natural world will be renewed and will be made perfect and it will bring praise to him. The old world of death and danger will be banished. There will be no more sin, no more pain, no more death. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Everything bad will be removed and it will be a place of joy and a place of wonder forever, where the new creation leaps for joy and reaches out for the people of God. Well, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, the Passover lamb, then our Passover is behind us and the promised land is ahead of us. And so we can be confident that we are on our way to heaven and our future rescue is secure. And during this time in which we live, when it feels like a long time coming, doesn't it? When we're beginning to be shaped more and more by the concerns of this life, and we we start to grumble at God like the Israelites in that desert, complaining against God's providence, complaining about his exit strategy, and asking him, what on earth are you doing? Why have you brought us into this mess? Well, the final verse of the psalm is for people like you and me. People like the Israelites who were in Exodus 17 were, were thirsty and they were just complaining until that is when God provided water for them out of the rock. Like them, we struggle to walk by faith and not by sight. But whatever we face, we need to remember that God is with us. He is the God of protection. He is the God of provision. He is the God of imaginable patience and grace. And so the question as we sing his praises is, will we trust him? Will we trust our rest in God? Will we trust him that he's with us now, whatever we face? And will you trust him now to get us safely home? Do you want to find out this week that Psalm 114 was one of those favorite psalms of the Huguenots? A group of Christians in the 16th century, century in France. And they were being persecuted for their faith. And they faced awful things like imprisonment for years Hang on pillars, guillotines. And yet every day in the prison, they would sing psalms. And one of their favorite psalms was Psalm 114. Why? Because, well, because it would shape their hope in the wilderness. They knew they were going. They had confidence that they were headed for the promised land of heaven. And so what happens when you come to church And someone up the front says, come, let's sing praises to God together. And you think, really? Well, we need to stand and sing with the congregation, allowing those words given by that song to just get into our hearts and allow that praise as we sing to shape our hope in him because that's what the Psalms do. You see, on the cross, Uh, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But towards the end of that psalm, he says, I will declare your name to the people. In the assembly, I will praise you. And so what that is saying is that when we stand up to sing praises, if we believe in Jesus Christ, is that he is standing in our midst and he is singing to God through us. Do you know what that means? It means that not only when God looks at me, and he sees the beauty of Jesus, but when God listens to me, He hears the voice of Jesus. When Jesus is singing in the midst of the congregation, it means that when we stand and, and sing in spite of our flaws and failings, Jesus sings through us, and God, God hears this beautiful melody and accepts us and loves us. I'm not musical. We're apparently in a, in a barbershop quartet where you have four different levels of voices. They say that when the voices blend perfectly, when they're at their best, they talk about a fifth voice. That when their four voices are singing perfectly, there's this sense that there's this fifth voice. Some kind of beauty that comes through that is greater than the sum of all its parts. And the Bible says that when you sing, knowing what Jesus did on the cross for you, taking the silence of God so you and I can sing in his presence, that will create a melody in your heart. And when it's done skillfully and joyfully with the congregation, it gives you that transcendence. We'll hear the fifth voice. You'll hear Jesus singing through you and that will change you as you know how much it cost him for you to sing like that. Songs can unlock and touch the heart like nothing else. They are powerful things, and when they are about our God, they become a source of real hope. Let's pray. Father, as we look at the psalm, they command us to sing to you. And as we come to Psalm 114, we found that we are called to praise you because you rescue your people. We praise you that in the past you rescued your people with your mighty hand out of slavery to the promised land. But we praise you all the more now because in some sense our rescue was merely a signpost to the greater rescue that has come to us through your Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus. That through his death and resurrection, we can have life now and that we can have confidence that you will lead us safely home. We pray for those who came this evening who had heavy hearts and burdens. We ask that you will help them to sing. Help us all to sing so we may hear the voice of Jesus singing through us so that it will create a wonderful melody in all our hearts that would strengthen our faith and our resolve to place our confidence in you and your rescue. And we ask all these things for our precious Save his name. Amen.